Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the one and only Nick Cassell, the one and only first sales hire at Sendoso and now a director of sales. Nick, why should people listen? We may have found a Nick who is a better salesperson than me. This one got me juiced up. I got off the episode and I wrote down like 12 things. He talks about how we should be telling customer stories, how to get really, really specific and crispy with customer stories. What do you do when you're trying to position yourself against the competition? And that's all I got. We should hear this one. Three, two, one. Nick, 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 Nick. Hello, Dion. <laughs> Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Nick, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
Absolutely. Thanks, guys. So my number one is authentic pattern interrupts, uh, specifically for outbound prospecting. So a pattern interrupt is effectively just something that's going to break someone out of what they're a, a more passive process. So the example here is most of your buyers are starting their day by going through their inbox and deleting anything that's not relevant to them getting to what they need to get to that day, right? Sort of that cleanup process. And what you're trying to, and that's a, that's a pattern. What you're trying to do is interrupt them from that pattern to get at least 10 seconds, 15 seconds of eyeballs on your content. The mistake you're making is your outbound messaging looks just like everyone else's. It's great. It's probably very personalized. It's probably, hey, Armand, I noticed you're the director of sales at Pave. We're helping a lot of other sales teams with X, Y, and Z, but he's getting dozens of those. And though, and for him, the pattern is click, click, delete, delete. So how do you break him out of that? So you could say, Armand, Suvla is my favorite restaurant in San Francisco for lunch. Here's a $10 DoorDash gift card so you can order it for yourself. And if you got 10 minutes for me to give you a phone call while you're going to pick it up, I'd really appreciate that. That's at least going to get your email read, which is half the battle, because that's interesting, right? Okay, before we move to number two, my mind's blown because every time I visit Armand and SF, that's where we go. But let's move on to takeaway number two. All righty. Takeaway number two is unexpected honesty. Um, this is this is one of my favorite things to do in any sales cycle, and I look for any opportunity to do it with, and all my reps do as well. So the, an obvious one is is with competition. So if you're in a sales cycle and you say, hey, are you looking at any other competitors? And they say no. Actually suggest that they go look at two or three of your top competitors. You're going to build a ton of trust right there. The mistake every sales rep does is when they hear we're not looking at any competitors, they say, yeah, we're kind of the only person in the space that does this. Because what's going to happen is that person's going to get off the call. They're going to find someone in the space who's at least somewhat similar. And you're going to have eroded a little bit of trust there or at least missed an opportunity to build trust. Also, if you get ahead of that and you're able to say, actually, go look at these two, you control the narrative and you can tell them maybe what to look out for when they talk to them or what you like about what that company is doing. Uh, another great uh, usage for unexpected honesty is in discounting. A ton of sales reps make discounting this sort of gray area, try to keep it cards close to the chest. What we love to do uh, at Sendoso is we say, there's three things that affect price and we lay them right out for the buyer. And then that also puts the question on them of which of these do you think we can leverage and tap into? Beautiful. Round us out, Nick. What's number three? So my number three is if you hang out with me a little bit, if you listen to the episode with my CEO, Chris Rudergap, you know he's one of the hackiest guys out there. And so we leverage something that's called sort of the third degree forward along. Um, and we leverage a tool called Cabal to do it. But there's a lot of ways that we, I mean, we used to do it on our own. And they sort of built it for Chris because he's a little bit of a mad scientist. So bear with me here. Let's say we're trying to get a meeting with Elon Musk, right? Well, Elon is actually connected to, uh, to David Sachs. And David Sachs is an investor in Sendoso via Kraft Ventures. So what I would do is I would notice that Chris, my CEO, is connected to David Sachs. And David Sachs is connected to Elon Musk. So I'm going to actually queue up a ghost email for Chris that's going to go to David Sachs. And the email is going to be, hey, David, notice you're connected to Elon. This is obviously a dramatic example. Hey, David, notice you're connected to Elon. Do you know him well enough to make an intro? And then he's going to CC me. So I as a who cares sales rep, all of a sudden have an opportunity to get a warm introduction to Elon Musk because you're leveraging my warm connection to my CEO, his to his investor, and our investors to ultimately 
the top of the line DM at the exact company that we want to talk to. I love it. All right, so I'm getting this theme of pattern breaking or unexpected honesty. Let's start with prospecting before we go into disco. So other than that first line in the cold email, there are all of these yeah. things that buyers are fatigued by. The same cold call openers, the same value propositions, the same ROI statements and all that stuff. Are there other things, whether in email, cold calling, LinkedIn messaging, that I can do to pattern break and sort of emerge from the inbox or the phone tree and not just be one of the million cold callers out there? I think in any, with any scenario where you're trying to think about pattern interrupt, start with what are the assumptions that are being made here and how can I flip that on its head? So every assumption about how you're supposed to open a call, what you're supposed to have in the middle of the call, how you're supposed to end the call. So one pattern interrupt I love that I tie back to unexpected honesty, ask for way more time. Say, hey, do you have an hour and a half so that we can dig into X, Y, and Z? They're not gonna give you an hour and a half, but again, it's it's setting that email apart a li- just a little bit, right? So any opportunity I think that you have to completely change whatever the standard model is of an outbound message, of a phone call, of an email, uh, I think texting is something that you can use more and more, especially today, that's gonna start to become absolutely commonplace. Get good at texting, figure out what's, what's relevant there. Emojis is something that I would have said is interesting a year ago. I think that ship has sailed, right? Now there's emojis and everything. So what's the next level of thinking through that. Uh, I think video is tired. Um, I would, I mean, heck, if I was an SDR today, I would make TikToks and send them to to buyers. Who knows, right? So just think about what everyone's doing and ask yourself how you can flip the script a little bit. Nick, that's literally been my operating model as a salesperson is anytime I'm in a situation and I'm like not totally sure how I should handle it, I think, okay, what would a normal sales rep do here and how can I be completely different. My question on the prospecting side is related to like your value proposition. Cause the example you gave was like, Hey, I'm going to send you a DoorDash gift card to go pick up some Suvla. Can we talk at some point? And you didn't in that example, like say anything about what Sendoso does or how Sendoso helps. And I'm curious, like, I'm sure you have people who kind of have a sense and I'm sure you're not just saying it's a way for you to send gifts to prospects. Like when you do explain what Sendoso does in an outbound message, are you doing it in a way that sounds crispy or are you not saying anything about Sendoso at all? I'm really trying not to talk about Sendoso. We had a great, great sales trainer, a guy named Skip Miller. He's a legend who says it's not about the dog. And every time you say the name of the company, he woofs at you. And so it starts to really try to break you out of this pattern of, of, cause every sales are just, you start to say the word over and over again, it loses all its meaning. So what we really try to emulate and, and one thing that I sort of live by with anything that's sales related is to start with the why. Uh, This isn't new, right? This is a Simon Sinek concept, but you start with why and then you move closer to the what and then closer to the how. So if you're starting with why in a sales process, all you're trying to do is you're trying to effectively get the person that you're talking to bought in on a a larger scale concept or a problem statement, right? So for, for Sendoso, that problem statement is digital noise is on the rise, it is harder than ever to stand out. I don't think there's anyone that really disagrees with that. And frankly, if they do, I'm not really gonna get anywhere in this sales cycle anyway. So let's figure that out up front, right? But what you'll do by by having a problem statement that you get them to agree with, you're going to have them 
a little bit more emotionally open to whatever the next line of things that you start to lay out in front of them are. So if I say to you, hey, you know, it turns out digital noise is on the rise. It's harder than ever to stand out. But you don't get, we're not getting that much mail anymore, which is a little bit interesting, isn't it? Right? So the process of starting with a problem statement and even an analogy. So one that I love is if you think about, you know, LA at rush hour, think about that highway as all the digital channels. And even pre-COVID, that is congested. It is hard to get where you want to go. It's going to be time consuming, but you got your Waze app. And so you can take some side roads maybe. And those side roads used to be in-person events. They used to be field events. They used to be uh, getting on a plane to take a team to dinner, uh, direct mail to an office. And then all of a sudden you've got COVID hit. And effectively what that did is it closed down all the side roads. And so you've got more and more cars moving onto this, onto this digital channel on this highway. And so when you lay that out for someone, it's very easy for them to to nod along and to get bought in. Now, the wrong way to approach that is for me to say, you know, teams that are adding direct mail as a channel are seeing a 200% increase in response rates. I don't believe you or I don't care, right? So if you start with the problem and you gradually move closer to your solution or you have them at the point where they're suggesting it to themselves, then you're moving from emotional to logical. And that's the way that you need to sell because people are gonna make decisions emotionally and then they're gonna justify them with logic. So Nick, oftentimes what sellers will do is they'll jump into these discovery calls and they'll be like, how many prospects do you have? How many meetings do you need to book? How many emails do you send? Great, that means you need to send this many things on Sendoso, which gets you this many more meetings. And the buyers are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. it's like too deep, too quick. So can you give us a sense of like, you jump onto that discovery call, how do you get them to emotional problems first before you get stuck in the weeds of process and ROI? So if someone is on the call and they're like, you know, I'm just not, you know, what's the ROI? Every sales rep is is guilty of this mistake. You're so excited that you have that you know so much about the ROI and the value that you jump in and you just ROI vomit. So rather than maybe trying to paint some massive broad strokes, you know, dream around what to do, just ask yourself, what would I do that gets this person a pat on the back at their next, uh, you know, QBR with their with their department, right? Can I paint this as something that gets them a win? And so in doing that, try to see if you have anything that's a story, something emotional that they could relate to. And I think we missed this. Everyone tells customer stories in terms of the company. Uh, So for Okta, we did this and we gave them a 2000% ROI. What about, yeah, so that, you know, this this reminds me of a conversation I was having a few months ago. We were working with Sarah over at Okta and Sarah was having a really tough time getting her sales team aligned, you know, and and even just every program she rolled out, it just felt like she was getting pushback from the sales team. And one thing she realized was she brought up the concept of sending direct mail and they actually, their their eyes lit up. And so, you know, fast forward and she brought on Sendo. So she empowered all her sales reps to actually send items. And she said it was the first tool that marketing bought sales that they were really grateful for and thanked her for. And all she had to do was set it up and decide how much money they each got. And then they got to all send stuff out. And they were talking about how great it was. They were getting meetings. They were closing more deals. And the whole sales team was, was shouting Sarah out in that next, in that next all-hands meeting. So all of a sudden what you're doing is 
you're not making it about Okta and the ROI. You're painting a picture that's relatable for someone where they say, oh shit, yeah, I can see myself having the, I see myself right now having those problems. And now I can see how I can get to that. I, I do feel like Sarah and I want to be future Sarah. That's an amazing way to shift telling a customer story from something that's sort of logical to something that's emotional. Because if I tell a customer story about like, here's how we helped General Electric, it's like, okay, like that's a logical thing that like the customer would then present like, hey, look, they work with a bunch of these big logos. But when it's a human being that you helped, it's much, much more emotional. One of the things I'm thinking about is like the beginning of that discovery call that you have, Nick. And I feel like it's almost hardest for you guys when you have a buyer who sort of have a sense of like how Sendoso can help, but only like from a very limited perspective. And I guess what I'm getting at is I worked at a company once where we used Sendoso, but the only thing that we ever did there was like we sent a bunch of coffee gift cards and it was like, it was not an effective rollout on our end. And now like my new company is a Sendoso customer and like I'm realizing, wow, there's a million and a half different use cases and ways we can help. And so what do you do like when you have a customer who shows up and is like, yeah, I already know what you guys do. Like, and they don't want to get into the conversation about like the 47 different ways you could help their organization. It's a really great point and it's tough. I think when in doubt, it doesn't hurt to be a little self-deprecating sometimes and and try to humanize yourself a little bit. Um, I, I love when there's there's newer AEs on my team because I, I get to tell them to do this and I think it just builds builds a great skill. Just say, well, I'll tell you what, Nick, that's totally fair, but I'm, I'm still practicing. I'm a, I'm a little bit new here, right? Can I do my best at telling you about them right now? So rather than being like, no, you don't know what we can do. And they're like, no, I, I do know. You're like, hey, you're absolutely right. We send coffee gift cards. I'll tell you what, there's a couple things that we just rolled out that I think you might also find interesting. You know, can I, I'm probably going to botch it. We just rolled these features out. You mind if I walk you through them really quick? I really love what you're doing where it's like, I'm probably going to screw up explaining this because I lean on that a lot recently where like the customer asks me 12 questions in their monologue. And I'm like, okay, I wrote a couple of those down. I'm going to do my best to explain all of these succinctly, but like, I'm probably going to screw it up. So tell me what I missed here. And it like turns it in from like, you're this sales rep with this like bravado and slick back hair. And oh, I got it all right to be like, I'm going to do my best to like get you the information you're asking for, but like, we got to work together here. The other thing that a lot of reps do is someone will say, hey, I think, aren't you guys a little similar to Sixth Sense, for example, for us? And people will be like, no, they're an ABM platform. Well, that's a, that's a horrible answer, right? Hey, you're absolutely on the right page. Sixth Sense is ABM data. Sixth Sense is going to tell, tell you if you're fishing, it's going to tell you where the fish are. It's going to tell you where to put your boat. Sendoso is the fishing rod to get the fish in the boat, Right. So if you really understand how a marketer is leveraging all these tools or whatever your buyer might be, right? Nick, you probably, you guys probably struggle with this with lawyers getting to know what their kind of day-to-day -day and, and environment is. So challenge yourself to really start to understand that, right? Ask a client that you sold maybe a couple months ago, if you feel like you're behind on the market and you feel like you're kind of, because everything changes so much, say, hey, can I buy you lunch? and pick your brain for an hour on what the heck is going on today in legal or in uh, enterprise security, what CISOs are worrying about right now, what heads of HR are talking about, thinking about what's cool in the market. 
and start to get that on, you know, in, in your blood as much as you can. Cause then circling back, if someone's like, Hey, you know, do you guys do this, this, and this, you can say, that's actually really interesting. I've never been asked that. Where like, where are you coming from on that? Cause you're genuinely trying to round out your knowledge of that person's day to day, their workflow, their problems, and how they go seek solutions for those problems. So Nick, you, you talked about on the prep call, on the note of competitors, if someone's asking you, who are your competitors, whether they're bringing up Sixth Sense, which is an almost competitor, or other ones that are more direct, you'll actually proactively bring up, these are the other competitors in our space. Can you tell us, how do you paint Sendoso relative to the competition? in a way that isn't just being like, all right, you have three options, pick your red, yellow, or green option here. Yeah, and I, I will say it's always difficult, especially if you're in a market that's evolving as fast as ours is. Because what I think the mistake that most sales reps make competitively is they, I call it, they timestamp their competitive knowledge. So what I mean by that is you panic that you don't know enough about your competitors and so you on a Wednesday, go and do all this research about what they do and what they don't do. But you don't realize that 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 data could become, that information could become outdated as soon as the next day, a week from there, a month from there, a year from now. But either way, you're going to put all this effort into all of this knowledge that's going to at some point become outdated. And so if you lean on that as your sort of market positioning, where it's like, well, yeah, you know, so-and-so is great, but they don't do X, Y, and Z. Like that's not positioning. So again, positioning, I think is, hey, I would go look at so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And and then I would circle it back to when you're talking about getting emotional buy-in. So after we do, you know, the problem statement, then we'll move to our, the sort of, it goes from why to sort of what to to how to what. And so it's, you know, so Sendoso, obviously digital noise on the rise. We saw this problem and we realized that there's three key things you need to go and solve this problem. We call them three pillars. One is logistics, and that's X, Y, and Z. The second is technology with robust integrations, that's X, Y, and Z. And the third is best practices and support, because for a lot of people, this is the first time doing anything like this. And so having a highly specialized team with four different people, and I'll tell you about what all four of them are going to work with you on, highly specialized, specific to ascending program. And then later in that conversation, when you say looking at any competitors and they say no, you can say, I would go talk to ReachDesk, I would go talk to Postal, and I would go talk to Alice. That's really the market today. And then if they're like, okay, what do you like about those? You say, look, I think there's a lot that a lot of them do really well, and there's a lot that um, I think is room for improvement with a lot of them. However, what you'll find is none of them have the same commitment and investment in three equal pillars in the way that Sendoso has defined the market So you're either going to see a lack of that logistical know-how and some strong technology, or you're probably going to see a lack of that best practices and support, um, but again, with really strong technology or or strong logistics. And so you're helping them when they go into that combo. A, you're pointing them in the right direction, building trust. B, you're helping them go into it with your language and your buckets for the market, right? And then there, where otherwise they wouldn't have, they're going to say, talk to me about best practices and support. Because Sendoso made me realize that's really important to this, right? And so you're you're setting the terms of their evaluation. If if you if you have that opportunity to, I think it's a, a huge miss not to. So so this one's genius, but this one is absolutely money. Here's why: what you are doing is before there's any competitor, 
in play, you are setting the grounds for what makes a good solution, period, right? And over the next 10, 15, 20 minutes of discovery, you're getting them addicted to those grounds. It's like you're sitting them down for a meal and you're being like, hey, you need a spoon, fork, and a knife to eat this meal. And you're eating a nice steak and mashed potatoes together. And then you say, hey, there's this other steak on the table and that's your competitor. You're not allowed to eat it with a knife. And you're taking away one of the utensils from them, even though the steak looks delicious. And so you've set the grounds for the competitive dis differentiation. And then the moment another competitor comes in, you can say, hey, by the way, that thing that you really like that you've been talking about for the last 20 minutes, that doesn't exist anymore. It's absolutely brilliant, man. So good. And I'll, and I'll give you another one because that's coming from my position as, you know, Sendoza is really the market leader. We've been doing this a long time, but I was the first sales rep at Sendoza. And way back when we were competing against legacy companies in the space. So I'll give you the other side of that coin. If you're, if you're saying that actually doesn't work for me because I'm this small scrappy startup, then what you have to do is it's the same model. You start with the problem statement. You start with a, something that they're going to get on board with. There's too much digital noise in the space. And then you need to say effectively, but everyone's solving this problem wrong. And the, and our approach is X, Y, and Z. And you have to, again, because if the market leader is doing their job, hopefully I am, we're setting the tone. Your only chance of closing that deal if you're a scrappy competitor is to effectively try to say the game is being played wrong and here's why. And then they're either going to emotionally agree with your new position and you might have a deal or they're not and you're going to save yourself a hell of a lot of time. But if you try to say, yeah, we're similar, but almost, but not quite, you're going to lose that deal, even if you undercut. So Nick, this is money on competitors. Let's say that you've gotten them to be excited about Sendoso. They're possibly looking at other competitors as well. And you give them pricing, right? Mm -hmm. And in that first moment where they ask for a discount, you mentioned in the beginning of the call that there are ways that you paint the levers that they can get a discount. And so someone is like, yo, you quoted me this. I was expecting 30% lower. What do I do in that immediate moment to react to that situation. I think you circle back to, uh, again, laying out what your levers are. So you're gonna be very honest about it. So you say, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure we can get to exactly 30%, but let me let me explain, tell you how we can bridge the gap here. There's three things that my finance team values and that we can look at leveraging. So the first is gonna be forecastability. So if we agree on a specific date that you think it's realistic to get this contract signed, and we drive toward that. The second is term. So if uh, you'd like to sign a, sec a two or three year contract, that's something that our finance team values and we'll reflect that with a discount. The third is really gonna be scope or, or scale, which is how broadly do you wanna start with here? Obviously, Sendoso is built, to, is built to sort of land and expand to crawl, walk, run, which we've talked about. But if you wanna map out that growth and contract it in, we value that as well because we can align our CS resources accordingly, which is, which is helpful. And so we'll, we'll in turn sort of value that with a discount. Which, if any of those three, do you think we can look at leveraging here? And what you've done there also is you've helped them realize that if the answer is none, they're probably off base asking for the discount, right? It doesn't feel fair to say none, but still 30% off. Because then you can very clearly say, like, look, my hands are a little bit tied here. Those are, the, those are, those are my three levers. I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm, I'm scared of my CFO. I'm not going to go walk into her office and say I got, I got nothing. We did this in a previous episode with Joe Diliberto, Sandler guy, is he talks about no unilateral concessions ever. And the reason for that is, let's say that they're hitting you with that 30% discount ask. 
if you come back to 20, they don't know what the bottom of that well is. Could they get 23? Could they get 25? And the reason for that is you just came back with a unilateral concession. You gave them 20. How do they know that they couldn't have gotten 25? But when you create a cost to negotiation, you require a trade for every dollar that you give up. So for every single dollar, there is an ask in return. And there will be an eventual point where the customer is not willing to make any more concessions on term. Eventually you'll get to like a 17 year deal and they'll be like, okay, like I'll take my 25% discount or whatever. But by giving them options, you stop the bleeding versus giving constant concessions. You just end up giving dollar and dollar and dollar away. And that's how your deal cycles get dragged out for 17 years. Yeah, I'll give you one more too. The other another concept is uh, people get addicted to discounts. People don't get addicted to free. So it's very hard if a percentage starts to slide to stop it from sliding. So 8%, 12%, 25%, no matter what you do to try to hold that line, as soon as they, they smell blood, right, they're going to go for it. Instead, ask yourself and work with your finance team to say, hey, rather than a 33% discount, can we give a third of this away for free? Because that's a very interesting, it, it's a little bit of a different dynamic and psychologically people aren't as used to understanding how to sort of negotiate against that. So the obvious one is seats. If you've got, you know, 30 seats rather than discounting them all 33%, which by the way, it's also going to be hard if that scales for them not to want to continue that 33% discount on future seats. Instead say, can I give them 10 seats for free? Then they're buying 20 and you've held the value on your per seat cost. 10 free was a signing incentive we're not reducing the value of our product by 33%. Nick, we got to move to the final question. The final question is this. We've talked about a ton of really great things that salespeople should be doing, but let's spend our last question on the inverse. The last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to ditch because it's hurting them more than it helps? Oh my God. Can I say get off LinkedIn? Like stop listening to everyone on LinkedIn. I guess I should clarify that. Don't get off LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn, use LinkedIn for prospecting. LinkedIn is awesome, but stop listening to the crap that people post on LinkedIn. There are nine pieces of horrible advice for every one piece of good advice. Curate your feed and block people as soon as they have bad content because there are probably, I mean, I know of 10 people that give phenomenal actual advice on LinkedIn. You know who they are, it's the real stuff. And then there's people who are just looking for likes, attention, and like anyone who just says something like, I post every day, you're inherently not posting something valuable, right? So be careful out there, there is tons of bad advice. Pick a couple people who you trust, who you know you should listen to have good advice and continue to follow them. Cut out the noise. There is so much bad advice on LinkedIn. Phenomenal. I highly recommend following me, but not following Armand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nick, anything you want to plug or promote before we jump off here? Nick at Sendoso.com. Uh, always happy to chat. This is awesome. Everybody, thank you, Nick, for joining us. Stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Cheers. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free.
This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Nick Casal include, number one, when you know you may run into a competitive situation, make sure you upfront set the foundation of what you should care about when looking at competitors. These three or four things matter in this market. Number two, once you get to that competitor, you can explain if you are the leader that your competitors are going to miss in three or four of those buckets that you set up front are important. They're not going to handle buckets one or three. But here's the thing. Number three, if you are not the leader, you can then say, hey, I know I explained these buckets. Here's why everyone else is doing the business model wrong entirely. And lastly, number four is you can tell stories at the personal level. So you should not say, oh, GE was struggling with lead conversion. What they found was this. You should say, yeah, the other day I was talking to Sarah, the SDR manager over at GE, and what she found was that her SDRs were having a really hard time getting into those enterprise accounts. And so they started mailing things by licking stamps. And so you can get into the personal stories and that makes it much more real for people. Alrighty, Nick, lick some stamps. How can people help us out here? So I feel as if I've been a pest to our audience, begging for you to connect with me and Armand on LinkedIn. And I still see third degree connections saying, I love 30 MPC. Okay, fine. That's fine. Did you know, esteemed listener, that we have a 30 Minutes to Presidents Club company page on LinkedIn? And it's not one of those crummy company pages where we boast about random things that are happening in the world. We actually take the best of Nick and Armand's LinkedIn posts, where we talk about best practices for stuff like cold call openers or email subject lines, and we aggregate them onto the company page. So if you're looking for the best of Nick and the best of Armand, you can find it on the 30 Minutes to Presidents Club LinkedIn company page. So give that a follow. It would warm my heart, and we will see you next week on 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. 
This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.